Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life Hacks for Working Moms, the podcast that helps you overcome the overwhelm, embrace the chaos, and cultivate a life you love. My name is Megan Strand. Thanks so much for being here today. One of the most foundational skills a child develops in their lifetime is their speech, and that starts at a very young age. And I personally have had the great fortune of having my own two daughters nurtured amidst a circle of friends who were speech and language pathologists. I think I honestly have five close friends that are speech and language pathologists. So anytime I had a question, I would turn to one of them. Now, I realize that not everyone has this strange set of social circle as I do. So I've asked my dear friend, Sharon Soliday, who is, of course, a speech and language pathologist, also owner of the Hello Foundation, to join me on today's episode to talk about speech development. Hey, Sharon. Hi, Megan. Thanks so much for having me. It's such a pleasure. I should also say Sharon is like one of my closest best buds in the whole world. So it's great to to have her on this episode. So we don't have to pretend we don't know each other. (laughs) (laughs) We do not. We do not. We do not. Excellent. I want to talk first about parenting because I know as I was raising my own children, you were really great at not giving me advice per se, but pointing out things that I was already naturally doing to bolster my own children's speech and communication without even really realizing it. So I was hoping we could talk a little bit about parenting first and just some things that you might do with kids before they're even talking or as they start to start to chatter a little bit. Like what are the things that parents can do or should be doing to really nurture that speech development? Wow, it's a big question. It's really probably the most important question because we know so much critical development for kids happens birth to three. And unfortunately, folks will often wait for their pediatricians to send up a red flag if there are concerns. Um, And then Mother Nature really takes care of so much in terms of typical speech and language development. But what parents can do, the number one important aspect is to talk to your kids. I mean, I, and I shouldn't even say it that way, not talk to your kids, because we're all very good at that. Me in particular, clean your room, pick up your toys, (laughs) a lot of directed language where we don't really expect a response. And as they get older, we don't want one. (laughs) But as uh, kids are growing up, you want to talk with your children. You want to, dis- as you're t- grocery shopping and you've got a little one in the cart, you want to talk about the different colors in the produce section. You want to label what you're looking at and describe why you're buying it. You could really be nonstop verbal chatter, and that's only going to benefit kids. That's really interesting because I remember thinking when I had kids, so this this is a feather in my cap apparently, but I remember thinking like, now I can talk to myself without looking crazy because I have this <laughs> child in my shopping cart. So I could be like, oh. should we get the apples today? Look at this red apple. We should buy this red apple. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and how do apples taste when you get home and how do you cook an apple? And uh, it's it really can be overwhelming, but I'll tell you, a kid's going to learn the word apple and a lot of very important language functions that you don't even really think about. Parents tend to think about vocabulary and how many, you know, what words my kids are saying, but we also look at what words are they putting together? How are they putting them together? How fluent is their speech in an effort to do that? Um, How do they self-correct when they make a mistake or do they even recognize they've made a mistake and how do they repair that? Because there are typical markers. It's not that typical speech and language means you never make an error. It's that... Uh, through this process of learning the language, whether it's English or another home language, 
you are going to make mistakes, but how do you repair them? And then how, what's the time frame you're doing all that in? I want to go back a little bit to the talking with your child, because I remember, I remember seeing you do this and I remember, I don't know, either modeling it myself or just having you point it out to me. But I remember with even itty bitty babies, as they start to verbalize you sort of responding to them instead of just saying, Oh, you're so cute. You're so cute. Aren't you so cute? Look at you smiling. Like as they were verbalizing anything, whether it was just a coup kind of responding to that and saying like, Oh, Oh, really? Do you think so? Is that something that is recommended as well? Absolutely. Because what you're teaching is you're teaching turn taking and you're teaching fundamentally that vocalization has power. And so if you want to get your needs met, you don't scream and shout um, or drop to the floor, but you can actually engage and talk and ask and request and um, indicate what you would like. And that when they're very little, some families think that that first year doesn't really matter because the kids just kind of lay in there at least the first six months and they're not doing much, but they're taking in everything. And it's at a point where their brain has not started pruning back, as we call the different uh, neuron pathways, if we want to get technical, but uh, it's a time where that's all just exploding. So imagine like a giant spider web just exponentially moving outward because you know, if a baby coos at me, you know, la da 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 da, and I lean down and I say, "Are you asking me a question? Uh, do you want to play with a toy?" And you start, "Do you want this one or that one?" You are indicating to them that you can make a choice. You have power over your environment, and you use communication to make that happen. And this is very natural for parents and care providers to do, but life tends to get in the way and we don't take the time, especially this is why, you know, they talk about sibling um, positioning and Mm. why first children, you know, (laughs) moms, we tend to especially hover over them and, you know, what do you need? What are you doing? Oh, look at that. And here's this. And in the second one, you're still doing a lot of uh, language, but you're not you're not spending that focused attention a lot of the time, at least all day long, because you have other demands in the family. It doesn't mean the second one is being ignored because you're still communicating to the first one. And so you're almost presenting a higher level language to that infant. So they'll get there, but it's, it's different. So you have to, unfortunately, as life gets more hectic, parents tend to fall back on directive language where we just are telling them, Uh, what to do all the time or you know whether it's eat this eat your piece eat your dinner pick up your room go take a bath Um, there's great concern in the early childhood community especially in care provider settings that uh, here's a little random tangent one of the questions parents could be asking when you're looking at a, a care providing setting is you know how often do you uh, hold conversations with kids and how often are you talking with kids versus just telling directing what they need to be doing because the more kids there are and unfortunately with some care providers we see a lot of custodial care where they're just uh, directing children throughout the day and it means kids are safe and probably happy and um, doing whatever but nobody's really engaging with them and it's that early engagement Um, especially birth to five, that's going to make a huge difference in their academic life and in just their communication skills overall. So don't under, yeah, don't underestimate the power of, you know, chatting it up, (laughs) talking to yourself in the grocery store. (laughs) It it can actually be quite exhausting because, you know, you feel 
And that includes reading books. I mean, reading I was going to ask is, about that. Yeah. Reading books is very powerful for little ones who what you're doing is like if you're showing them, let's say you have a six month old sitting in your lap and you're reading a book and you're showing them this is how you hold a book. This is how you turn a page. This is the function of a book before you even get to what's in the book. I mean, there's mm. a great many rules that they're learning and that's all baseline stuff for what's going to happen in the future for them. And then when you point things out on the page, you don't have to read the story. They're not going to follow Goldilocks necessarily to, in terms of an attention span or really understand what's happening at six months old, but you can just start labeling the pictures. You know, you don't, you can break the rules when it comes to reading and you can, if you see a scary wolf, you can like, Oh, that's scary. And, you know, you can make a scary face and, you know, all of those components, you are feeding valuable information to your child about, um, really what are different emotional states and how do we react and how do we interact together, you know, because moms and dads tend to say, oh, let's run away, you know, and the two of us, we're in this together. So there's all sorts of uh, social language that's also being taught when you're working on books. And of course, that's another great point, because you were talking about speech, like you think of speech and language pathology as like kids who cannot speak, literally cannot are having problems with speech itself. But there's a whole big piece of that communication that goes far beyond just being able to pronounce an R. Absolutely. And most people think what we do, oh, S and Z, I had trouble with the lisp. You know, it's not a great profession to go to a cocktail party and maybe that's why we're all your friends. <laughs> no one else would be our friend. You go to a cocktail party and they're like, oh, I had to go to one of you when I was a kid. They were horrific, you know, and they used some awful story. And you stand there with a glass of wine feeling responsible for every speech therapy session that went awry in the world. And so, uh, but it is a lot more than S and Z and R. And those are big and those are important because people do judge you based on how you sound and we want to sound our best uh, but um, beyond that there is a lot of communication skills that need to be addressed and learn and fortunately mother nature takes care of a great deal of those for most kids but there are some that need a little more support and instruction right and so to that point and, and you brought this up at the very very beginning but one of the challenges with speech is that you really want to be intervening as soon as possible if there if there are any concerns but a lot of times that doesn't get caught until I mean, even with the pediatrician, I want to talk about this a little bit, maybe the pediatrician, but maybe not until they're in school when they're five or six years old, which I would think from your perspective, you would want to get to those kids a little bit earlier. So what are some of the things that parents should be looking out for at younger ages in terms of red flags that either they take to their pediatrician or maybe it's raised by the pediatrician or maybe it's just their own mom sense looking at other kids of a similar age going, huh, my kid is not doing that or doing it very differently. Right. Or we often see, which you'd be surprised, the number of moms and dads who say, uh, yeah, I didn't know anything was wrong until we had a second. And that oh. one is a total, you know, they Chatterbox. picked up on this and they're chattering and they're doing this and that. And our other one is two years older and still not doing any of that. And so mm. uh, we definitely hear that also. So I I guess I would ask families to think about three areas, um, and I'm, I'll touch on those briefly, speech, language, and hearing. So let's start with oh. hearing. I think it's really important in this age of electronics that um, 
it's definitely okay that our kids are exposed to audio stimuli, but we want to be guarded about how loud they're listening to music. And so this is really your little one, whether they're watching TV or Netflix or on the iPad, you know, or uh, your adolescents who've got that stuff blaring right into their ears. Um, those folks in their 20s are the fastest growing population of people needing hearing aids. Wow. On the flip side, the kids, uh, when they're babies, what you want to be paying attention to, if they haven't had a newborn hearing screening, which is very common and mandatory in many states, that uh, how well do they respond? respond. Um, if you drop a dish, if something loud happens that startles everyone else or you and the family, um, do they respond? Do they cry? Do they jump? It's when they don't move at all that we're concerned. Um, if they, how responsive are they then? And in what environments? You want to just kind of pay attention to that. So if you do have concerns, you can be pretty specific to, with your pediatrician. Uh, for speech and language, we really expect kids to have uh, I'm going to say like t 10 to 20 words by the time they turn one. Now, that doesn't mean the words are going to be like arithmetic and <laughs> completely articulated well and multisyllabic, but you have to have some indication of, oh, okay, you know, og is the, means the dog. And here you're looking at language, like what vocabulary are they developing? And so as they get past one, they should start putting words together. And by the time you're, you've turned two and you're moving into three, the kids by three, three and a half really should sound like little adults. They should be able to have uh, real conversations with complete sentences. And if not, that's a red flag. You definitely want to have checked out. And speech sounds have such incredible variation. The sounds you're looking for early on Think of the sounds that have to do with the lip, the lips, like M's and B's. Um, those are sounds that you're going to be looking for. Mama, uh, sometimes, you know, ba for ball. It's okay if they don't have that L yet. Sometimes they might drop the sound off at the front or drop a sound off at the back. And that's not an immediate red flag. That's something, though, you do want to watch to see is that happening with every word or just certain words. And it will help your pediatrician. I love pediatricians. I will never dismiss a pediatrician. <laughs> However, with that said, uh, families are entitled to a free, no matter where you live in the country, a free early intervention screening from newborn forward. You have to just contact early intervention services in your county and they will, uh, and if you don't even know how to find that, you call your neighborhood school and say, I want to get a number for early intervention and they will, they will get it. And their role is really to help families identify is something atypical, something we want to either keep an eye on or provide some early therapy for, uh, or, and then provide that therapy at no cost to families, or is there something uh, that we, you know, need to just watch for a while? So we don't, we don't really know. But sometimes pediatricians aren't catching that. But it really helps the pediatrician and the speech pathologist later if you need that, is to actually be documenting and holding on to some information so that they have a really good idea versus. Families often go in there and go, something's just not right. Mm. Something's so what not right. So what should people be documenting specifically if, if, there, if there's a concern? Sure. Yeah. Well, I would say um, how 
how does your child communicate with you? Is it just through screaming? You know, is it crying? Is it different kinds of cries? Do they point, but they don't talk? So some kids will use a lot of gestures and do some babbling, but as they get older, but their speech hasn't been coming in, well, that's important to know. If you're If you've got babbling and you're pointing, that tells us you've got some pretty good language skills, but we need to look at the speech side of it Mm. versus speech sounds coming in. But, you know, my child's a little older now and their grammar, they put words out of order. They always say um, instead of he goes to the store, him go to the store, him go to the store, you know, well, depending on the age of your child is whether or not that's accurate. And so and this is just for speech and language things. If uh, With the rise in autism, you know, you might be looking for some different things. We hear a lot from moms with little ones. I don't feel they're making eye contact with me. I don't feel connected. I don't feel, I feel like they're kind of in their own world. Um, Those are a little tougher, but as you know, we, they're definitely great and this isn't really the venue to go into it, but there are some (laughs) great tools that we can do some uh, examination of considering, you know, is this atypical or typical development? And parents should take advantage of that if they have concerns because, you know, the whole weight they might grow out of it, there's no benefit to waiting. I mean, I was, I was going to ask about that. I had two questions specifically because I feel yeah. like I saw this quite a bit when my kids were younger. One thing is kids that are, are, are clearly normal, except for the fact that they really do not speak at all for their age. Like they're, they're getting to be, you know, four years old or three years old and they're not, they're just not saying a whole lot. Like you can tell they're there with you, but they're just not saying a whole lot. And I feel like every mom who I heard that happen to would go to the pediatrician. They'd say, just wait, it's going to be fine. (laughs) Yeah. Pediatricians love to do that because when I had my child, I didn't, I mean, the first 10 years, (laughs) give or take a year, I had a long list of questions that made me look a little hyper-concerned, especially because this was my field and I only had one child to focus on. (laughs) And I, on top of that, was um, just just kind of very, uh, a little bit of knowledge is a dangerous thing. (laughs) And that's what (laughs) the internet empowers families with when they go to the pediatrician. And so a lot of times families, well, I've been researching, here's what I found, here's what I think. Um, And so pediatricians, uh, part of their role is to sort of help parents not lose their minds. And that's a very reasonable goal. But and so telling them to be calm and to wait um, may feel like that's okay, especially granted, there's a huge range of what typical development looks like or normal, as we would say. Um, However, when we in a situation like the one you described with the four year old, I would circle back and say, well, is she just that way? when other people are around or is she different when she's just with you is she different when there it's a high topic of interest for her you know if you know she loves poly pockets or ponies i, I don't quite know what's cool now for the little 4 year olds <laughs> but poly pockets were it when my daughter was there and you know she was kind of that way she was more reserved and took in the world but 
alone and when it was Polly Pockets, she would talk up a storm. Mm. And so that is okay. That's that's normal. You've got a kiddo who probably is more quiet, just taking in the world around them. And it's a little harder to understand maybe what's going through their mind at the time. But if you have a child who's highly motivated and you know it's something they're interested in and they're still struggling to communicate things to you or to engage in appropriate play, um, you know, turn taking and people talking and, you know, cars crashing if you have boys, you know, if if they're not doing that, that's at four years would definitely be a concern. I don't think you have to I don't think you wait at that point because what you're trying to rule out is uh, is something similar to a learning disability we call it a language learning disability and that's where kids are just really struggling with the components of language and some kids because of their personality will uh they don't they know it's not coming out right or it's hard or they don't know what to do and so you want to sort of tease all that out and see or see what do they know and what don't they know the other thing um that i thought i feel is common is Parents saying, oh, well, I understand what they're saying. And you're looking at this kid like, I, I didn't get any of that. I mean, and you know, it's it's different when you have a one-year-old versus like a three or four-year-old. And you're like, I don't, I just, I don't, I really, I don't know if it's just me. I really don't understand a word they just said. And the parents are like, nope, totally got it. They said, take the dog out for a walk and then give him a bone. <laughs> you're like, uh, here it is. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazingly... Um it's a gift and a curse all at the same time that parents get that because what happens like when I do a language assessment or take a language sample or a parent interview as a part of my evaluation, I always ask the parents, okay, how much of their speech and language do you understand on a, you know, from zero to a hundred percent, how much of that do you understand? And they'll say, "Mm, 78, you know, 80%. I'm like, okay, great. Now, if I, if you walk into a room and you're with a stranger how much would the stranger understand if they didn't know anything about? And they go, oh, oh, yeah, probably probably 10, <laughs> 20% maybe. Mm-hmm. And they tend to even overestimate that has been my experience. <laughs> and so I think um, it can be very deceiving. I've even had kids who have a mild articulation problem like uh, S lisp or an R distortion and you'll be in the room and everybody hears wabbit, wabbit, wabbit. And the parent goes, Oh, it's, you know, it sounds like rabbit. You don't hear, you know, does that sound, he's been going to therapy. Does it sound like it's getting better to you? (laughs) Because when you live with a child and you have these huge, you know, caretaking concerns all the time, as far as just what it takes to get through a day as a mom or a dad, then, uh, you know, really discriminating, isn't you know between what you hear and live with versus what someone else wouldn't you're not doing that and so you're you're just not always an objective third party which sometimes can delay intervention because parents will say well I didn't really know it was that bad or I didn't really hear that or I I was quiet when I was a kid um and so that's okay parents shouldn't blame themselves but if nobody understands then then that is a concern. Because I also say there's something between how much a parent understands versus a stranger. But then, you know, and maybe the stranger isn't reliable. But what about auntie who sees the kid once a week? If you have some exposure to the kid and you don't necessarily aren't tracking what they're saying because they're that difficult to understand at three and four, you definitely want to get, uh, you know, some help. What about what about the R's and the 
I think it's the L's, right? That those things can linger for much, much longer. Like that you can have totally normal speech except still be saying wabbit. Yeah. <laughs> at what age though? Like at what age are you like, okay, when is this, when is this R going to come in? Okay. Well, those, uh, yeah, those are great questions. And, uh, I actually would love to direct you to, this is probably a good time for your listeners because I don't want to say an age just because then people are going to say, oh my gosh, my kid's in third grade and they're still trying to yep. master that. Yep. And so uh, I think you're better off to really look at what are some, the range of typical so okay. that you can have um, a, a better idea. And also the I'm hoping at the bottom of your podcast, we can put this link for parents and it's from the American Speech and Hearing Association, which is our national association and very reputable. And uh, you would, if you receive services, you should be getting services from a speech pathologist that has their uh, certification from the American Speech and Hearing Sciences, as well as their state license. But there's a whole uh, easy to read public reference of what is typical speech and language development and that page goes looks at um you know even defining what is language what is speech and then what are early things i should be looking for and then all the way up to by grade level what should my kiddo be able to do Mm, and so i think yeah i think it's a it's a great resource because then it'll It'll show you and you'll think, and most of your listeners I know will look at that and go, oh yeah, my kid was doing that two, two years ago. Well, that's great. There's a big range of normal. So it'll, it'll just show you what our expert expectations are because, and I say grade level, there is a direct correlation in speech and language to reading. And so uh, we know that we can predict pretty accurately uh high school graduation rates based on third grade reading and wow it's yeah it's that critical so we really want to be get, getting in there and getting kids the help they need excellent well so we will put a link to that the asha website and the specific page that sharon is referencing in the show notes but also sharon if people want to find out more about you how might they do that online oh uh, thanks for asking um we, I'm the owner of the Hello Foundation, and we provide speech and language services and occupational therapy service and school psych services into school districts and to individuals. Specifically for speech and language, we have two options, and that is where we provide, I have a group of 56 specialists, and they're all fantastic in different areas, and we provide locally in a clinic speech and hearing um, like therapy traditional appointment times but we also provide on- online therapy so we can work with anyone in the world on speech and language and it's actually far more convenient if you're <laughs> not wanting to drag amazing. Two, two kids to an appointment you can have a therapist online with a set appointment time and we're at the hellofoundation.com and Excellent. yeah I just really appreciate you uh, mentioning that Excellent. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. All great resources. Well, it has been so, so fantastic to talk to you today, Sharon. Really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you, Megan. I appreciate you spreading the word. Awesome. You can find show notes for today's show at Lifehacks for Working Moms, the website, which is lh, the number four, wm.com. 
And I will post all of the links we talked about today there. Also, make sure you subscribe to Life Hacks for Working Moms in iTunes so that you don't miss an episode. And if you like today's episode, please leave a review. It's really important that I get your feedback about what you're liking in the show. You can also do that on the Life Hacks Facebook page, which is also linked from the website. So on behalf of Sharon and myself, we'd like to thank you for joining us for this episode of Life Hacks for Working Moms, and I'll talk to you next time.